All right, here we go. It is Monday, 9 p.m. This is Ungovernable. I am Matt. This is Jocelyn. Um, do we want to hop right into the wine really yeah. quickly? All right. I don't even know what you got. Yeah, no, it's really good stuff. So um, Sticks it's called Sticks stones. and Stones. Red blend. <clears throat> red blend from Portugal. Oh, I love red blend. Yeah, and uh, a favorite of ours, it's a screw top. So, oh, yeah. I can help you if it's stuck. Um, yeah, we, mm. we don't do uh, anything. Oh, wow, that's like really on there. <laughs> Um, we don't do anything that's like high end or super bougie or anything like that. Everything's under like 20 bucks. So, um, all right. Just a reminder, uh, like, comment, subscribe. Oh, good. Uh, we are streaming right now on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Vim TV, Odyssey, and a couple other places, Twitch. Um, so catch us wherever that you prefer to watch your streaming. Um, if you prefer, this is like a long form uh, format. So if you prefer audio, then <clears throat> you can look up ungovernable on your favorite podcast platform. So um, with that, how, how good is it? Well, Did you taste it? it? It smells really good. It smells though. fantastic. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's nice. Yeah, it's like really oh, that's light. That's really good. Yeah, it's really light. How much was this one? Uh, I think it was like 14, 15 oh, bucks. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. I love that. So, um, all right, cool. We have an awesome program. Um, I'm going to learn a lot. Today. Yeah, uh, it's a another kind of learning type one. Yeah. Um, what are like... You are married to someone who professes to be an anarchist. Do you? Um, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> um, in your kind of like just, you know, very kind of like 30,000 foot view, what do you perceive as anarchy or, or what an anarchist really kind of like thinks or believes? Well, we did watch that that show on HBO the other day. Yes. Yeah. So I, now I have preconceived notions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, even including that, what, what do you think it is? Uh you know, I think it goes back to my whole feeling on um, licensure. Oh, okay. You know, that idea that like, what, like once you, if you want to be a therapist, you have yeah. to get licensed. Yeah. And then you kind of have to continually get continued education and, and all of that. And then mm -hmm. in the end, I, mean, I don't understand. And then it, you have to have licensure in order to get insurance taken. Yeah. And people who need to see therapists often need to use their insurance. And the whole thing seems like a scam to me. Yeah. And I think, but we've talked a few things about anarchy where I'm like, I don't understand how it would work. Well, <laughs> we, we can talk through those today because we, we have, we have a, yeah. a, a, a special guest. Um, but from your standpoint, yeah, that kind of gatekeeping behavior. Like, yeah. Like all of that. Like, yeah. Yeah. The government like and and the agencies and all of this you stuff. don't like people telling you what you can do with your own body or your own shit right yeah i'm in agreement with okay that. all right uh, that's that's a fantastic start okay um <laughs> so <clears throat> all right so we have ace arcist with us ace how you doing brother oh, i'm doing really great uh thanks so much for having me on guys this is gonna be fun no 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 it's a, it's all our pleasure you're gonna be uh teaching class today <laughs> yeah i'm gonna learn <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, before we get rolling, I always forget to do this and leave it to the end. I want you to be able to put out your your stuff so people know where to follow you. So you are Ace underscore Arcist on uh, Twitter. But yes. where else can people subscribe to you or find your material? Yeah, um, I also have a I have a Substack, uh, Ace Arcist dot Substack dot com. And then uh, I also do a podcast with my host, uh, Dino, Dino from uh, Dino Files that we uh, called The End Times Continue. We, we recently started it and we're like five episodes in and you can find us at T-E-T-C dot show. We're also on pretty much practically every podcatcher, uh, pretty much. So awesome. Uh, T-E-T-C dot show. Yep. Fantastic. OK, so um, 
how good did we do <laughs> at, at the very baseline? I bring it back to my life. Yeah. <laughs> at the no, very I, baseline, what is yeah. anarchy? So, right. So, um, I, I, obviously, right, uh, whenever you're describing anarchism or explaining it, you always have to go through this, like, because most people have an understandable preconceived notion that it's obviously chaos, right? And it's obviously mm. been presented that way in many, in many media formats. So it, it's, it's right. I, I, there's no fault for anyone who's like, oh, anarchism, how could that, you know, ever work? That sounds crazy. So it, right. the burden is very much on the anarchist to explain this. Uh, uh, so no one should feel any like, oh, you know, yeah, you, you should never feel like foolish for thinking, oh, well, this couldn't work because it's, it's it's not quite intuitive uh, all the time. So but basically anarchism um, is uh, like from a philosophical standpoint is basically the idea of uh, each person having the highest claim to their own, their own, their lives and the property, the property mm. that they incorporate. Right. So like um, if I have the highest claim to myself and you guys have the highest claim to yourselves, then the only way for us to interact in a moral sense would be voluntarily through mm. like consensual interactions, right? Um, so uh, anarchism, one of my favorite philosophers, Roderick Long, has this really great summation of anarchism, which is that anarchism is essentially the idea that um, it is unjust to treat other people as your property. And it's mm. basically that consistently applied. So the reason the anarchist uh, is opposed to the state is we view the state as an essential intruder into our boundaries, right? So if I have a if I have a right to be secure in my boundaries, meaning my body, my property, um, and the state we view as an institution that inherently invades those boundaries, um, then we would view the state as an inherent aggressor. Aggression is a, like a, kind of this catch-all term that yeah. we would use to. Um, um, to describe acts that encroach into another person's boundaries or a type of an act that would um, sub subject another person to another person's will. Like if, if someone is like um, uh, violently assaulting you, they are trying to subject your body to their will in some sense. Mm. Um, so that, that's a, that's just an example, but that's kind of the gist of anarchism. It's basically the idea that uh, to restate it real quick, like I have the highest claim to myself, you guys have the highest claim to yourselves. Each person has the highest claim to themselves and their property, and no one may uh, rightfully intrude upon that or usurp their usurp their claim. Yeah, um, yeah. That that's um, I think that's a fantastic way to look at it. I've I've also heard um, people just even kind of like break down the origins of the word anarchy, and it's kind yes. of like you know traditional meaning of essentially no masters, no, right? Yeah. Yeah, no yeah. masters, no rulers. Um, and by master or ruler, uh, we the, the anarchists take this specifically to mean uh, a person who encroaches into another's boundaries to subject them to their will. Yeah. Um, so like uh, uh, if uh, someone like sets up, like um, takes over your property, um, your property, the anarchist, uh, not all anarchists, some, an I don't, I'm not going to get into like the disagreements of different anarchist schools <laughs> here, but uh, basically uh, from my own perspective, if you incorporate uh, resources into like your ongoing means, this becomes mm -hmm. what we would call your property, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so, and if someone intrudes upon that property, they're essentially, um, dominating you or dominating your boundaries um in mm -hmm. some sense by uh you trying to usurp your claim um, yeah so that any person who tried to do that and i think there are many examples of states doing this uh we would consider that person to be a ruler um in that regard basically anyone who encroaches into the boundaries of another person uh to subject them to their to subject them to their will yeah i feel yeah. like good in the last like three years 
you've got an opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, that, an opportunity. <laughs> that was going to be one of my questions was, um, so I don't know if you've watched it yet, Ace, but um, The Anarchists on HBO Max. Um, I have not yet, no. Yeah, so uh, what's really interesting is uh, I thought it was going to be a hit piece when I first he heard about it, mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't seem to be playing out that way. It really seems to be a somewhat um, level-headed, as level-headed as possible viewpoint of, you know, kind of the the anarchist movement. Uh, it follows mostly stuff that happens at Anarchopoco, yeah. um, but uh, it, it's... I was surprised. It, it It's really kind of like a, a semi kind of like level portrayal of, and it also does a good job of kind of showing the, the diversity that's also within the anarchist mm -hmm. movement. It's not uh, something that's a, a monolith or anything like that. Um, but it, it definitely seems like anarchism, at least in terms of public awareness is on the upswing. Um, yeah. what, what, what would you attribute to that? Like, why, why do you think that has come about so recently? So I, I um, Emma Goldman has this really, she was an anarchist, a famous anarchist. Um, uh, she was famously deported by Woodrow Wilson to Russia. Um, but uh, um, she, uh, she has this yet, quote. Yet where, another, yet another shitty thing in his, in his column. Yeah. So anyway. so just, uh, yeah. Um, so she uh, had this great, great quote, which is like that the, um, the cops are creating more anarchists than uh, I ever will. Uh, and I think the state, uh, the state's constant um, boot on the throats of many people over time, increasingly kind of is leads to this, right? It at least makes people second guess some of their assumptions, right? Because a lot of people have this assumption that, well, you know, we, uh, our system isn't perfect, it makes mistakes, but we generally live in an overall just society and just system. And I think the more and more people are um, awakened to like some of the uh, examples of that not being true. I think that starts people to question the legitimacy of their rulers, really. Um, and I think certainly like, you know, with the, uh, <laughs> the lockdowns uh, and things like that, that's obviously a huge one. And but that's, you know, just on top of a huge history of like state violence that we could that we could imagine. Um, I, I think that's definitely led to a lot of people kind of being more open to this idea. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. And I, I would, I would tell anyone if you are like really curious uh, about anarchy, if you, if you're not a hundred percent familiar with it, you could definitely check out the the TV series. Um, but there's just a, a bunch of other things that are kind of like uh, underpinnings that that can get you to that point. I mean, just you know, don't necessarily follow Michael Malice's Twitter account because that's not <laughs> that, that's not like an educational process in anarchy, but. Um, definitely listen to like what he says or, or read some of his books because I, yeah. the, the dude's on point because he comes at it from a different standpoint. So it used to be, well, the, the current practice now is right. Like a, if you believe we live in a two party system, which I would argue we live in a one party system or an oligarchy. Um, the, the one side is trying to convince the other side of like, you know, we're the best side and we're the best side. Um, <clears throat> Malice in true anarchist uh, fashion isn't trying to convince anyone to come to anarchy. He's just trying to completely undermine <laughs> the institutions that everyone have come to be like, you know, oh, this is just, you yeah. know, our price to pay to live in a civilized society or right. like, you know, this is the justice that we need here. Um, and he, do he does a fantastic job of that because he's, I mean, they give you all of the ammunition that you need in order to be able to point out um, just kind of the, the, the fallacies that all of that shit is built on, you know? Yeah. Um, so, uh, I, were you going to ask a question? Did I, uh, no, no, I was just going to say like the, 
you know, if you just start to open your eyes right now, there's like a lot that's coming out of like, just if you look at everything and how everything's like, just watching the Russell Brand thing today, I did not know that the government was involved in creating Google to begin with from the defense department. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, you start to see like everything is connected. There goes our YouTube channel. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you start to see it. Everything is connected. And like, you have no individual freedom. Like mm. everything you do is watched in one way or another, you know, like, yep. and you know, we homeschool. So, you know, there are countries where you can't even homeschool. Mm -hmm. like, who knows how it's going to come down here eventually, you know, if the board of eds get so, you know, angry at their amount of money coming, but there's so many things that, um, if you start to see how it all, all connects, you're like, wow, you, you really like the mask comes off or, yeah. or like the glasses come off. Yeah. You know? So I, uh, one of my introductions, not necessarily to, uh, anarchism, but, um, to libertarianism was through reading anatomy of the state. Um, oh, yeah. I think a lot of people get into the pipeline, um, reading anatomy or, or, uh, there's a couple of other books that are kind of these like starter books that people get in through. Um, how, how do you read though? Anatomy of the state. It's, it's, a it is. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, it's technically a pamphlet. Like it's not even, it's like oh, 70 okay. pages. It's yeah. a very, oh, I can tell and, and there's all kinds of footnotes too. So it's not even the whole page. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so, uh, I wanted to ask you, Ace, like, how do you view that dynamic between libertarian libertarianism, or at least what kind of the, the, mm -hmm the normie idea of what libertarianism is nowadays versus anarchism. Like is one a subset of the other or do they kind of have some, you know, separation between the two of them? Yeah. Specifically, do you mean specifically in terms of how, like how normies see it or? Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, I, I would say like, say someone is completely green to both of these ideas, right? Uh -huh. um, yeah. How oh, would you okay. explain that dynamic? Yeah. Um, I, I think that uh, to to like just the a person coming in from the outside who sees libertarianism, I think libertarianism is kind of like an on ramp to anarchism. Mm -hmm. um, I don't, but I don't think most people who like see who become libertarians at start necessarily see where the on ramp leads. Uh, mm -hmm. But I think they they get on it anyway because it, it, libertarianism uh, to most people does provide like really practical like policy proposals that mm -hmm. just seem really common sense to most people. Yeah. Um, so, and I think that's kind of like what attracts a lot of people. So like sometimes people might not think that, uh, well, you know, the logical conclusion of this whole, this whole thing ends at anarchism. But, um, I, I think in general that it's kind of like the practical policy proposals that, um, that they lack from like the left and the right generally that attracts yeah. people to it. It's so, like the gateway drug. Uh, yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I would, I would, uh, I would classify it as the, the gateway truth serum, maybe, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, uh, li libertarianism might be like the, the red pill or whatever. Right. But then anarchy is like, when you actually wake up on the Nebuchadnezzar, like that is anarchy, right? Like it's like the, the, the gateway of getting there. You know? Um, how did, how did you like, without going too far into like your yeah. backstory or anything like that, how did you come to anarchy? Was it something that you were immediately drawn to when you were, you know, kind of a young adult or, or was uh, there like a process yes. there? Uh, so it was, well, it, it was something, there was a process, but it wasn't a, a long one. I, I've kind of always had like, I guess these intuitions uh, to some extent, yeah. but I guess they were really awakened um, um, actually by Judge Andrew Napolitano. 
um, hey. on Fox News. He was like kind of my gateway drug. He was my introduction to the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and it all kind of spiraled from there. So I was just like, really, I thought he had really unique opinions, especially for on Fox News. And I really enjoyed his content. And then I kind of like started like searching like other appearances he'd been on that led me to like other podcasts. And then I just started like reading and absorbing as much content and information as I could. So I, and I, this is when I was like, I think like 14 or 15. So I was, I was pretty young um, when I just started like absorbing as much as I possibly could on this. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting that Judge Knapp was kind of your, your, yeah. uh, I, a lot of people talk about it like, maybe like a Trojan horse or kind of like a, a camouflaged anarchist yeah. like living out in the wild, right? Like when you, <laughs> when you listen to Judge Knapp, like you're like, oh, well, that sounds like a principled libertarian or whatever. And then he starts talking about some stuff. What was, um, the movie that Pete Quinones did, uh, or yeah, Monopoly on Violence. Yeah, Monopoly on Violence. And when I saw Judge yeah. Knapp in there, I was like, "Whoa, hold on, wait a minute!" You know, like yeah. <laughs> I was like, "This seems a little extreme for Judge Knapp." But <laughs> there's yeah. one video um, where he's, I think he's at the Mises Institute, and someone says, "You sound like an anarchist," and he goes, "Well, you don't hear me denying anything." <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that that's an awesome progression i i, I yeah. love that because so many people come to it from you know different angles whether it be you know left right or or mm -hmm. um you know like me it took me took me the better part of 40 40 years for me to kind of get to this point <laughs> um raised as a uh a, a kid that was basically in a conservative neocon family yeah um yep. ra railed against that by going to a liberal university and adopting like really kind of like hippie left kind of uh, yeah. uh stances and then just magically kind of like the the parts that i really liked about kind of the left side and the parts that i liked about the right side just kind of started to kind of like cross over and there were some sacred cows that had to be <laughs> slaughtered though so like <laughs> like full full disclosure i come from a police family like my my father yeah. and my grandfather were both both police officers um and even even my father to this day you know he's he's very much he he's a supporter mm -hmm. of, of that kind of framework but from that standpoint even he's become shook because like when we talk about these issues so covid's a perfect example when we talk about these issues and he's like oh well you can't vote for those democrats or anything like that or if you vote for a libertarian republicans not going to get in and i was like well why and he was like law and order and all this other stuff and i was like well you realize that law and order is what caused you know the police to essentially go to people's houses and you know kind of lock them in or, or drag them out of their businesses um and so yeah it's it's a perfect example of how the system yeah. gives you enough ammunition in order to kind of at least lead people down that road in order to kind of just goose them a little bit in that direction, you know? Um, let, let's, let's talk about policing. So um, yeah. I, I think uh, a lot has been, um, obviously a lot has been talked about about policing within the last few years. I think you would agree that the justice system has been fucked for probably the better oh, yeah. part of a hundred years in this country, at least. Oh, yeah. um, the, the, a lot of times we have problems with, uh, or not problems, but it, it becomes a, a difficult conversation because people will be like, oh, well, what are you, those like Antifa punks or like, are you part <laughs> of these like ACAB BLM people? Like they, right. they automatically try and put you into, you know, like well, a the mainstream news does that group, too. Like, right? The news always has oh yeah anarchy across like all with the whole thing yeah. that was happening in seattle yeah yeah they used to, they used to use the word bedlam now they use the word anarchy and i'm like you sons of bitches go back to using bedlam you I feel know? like when you first told me you were talking about anarchy i was like you, you thought i was gonna start dressing all in black and <laughs> no, throwing molotov like, cocktails no, um but i i was like whatever yeah <laughs> so uh 
you, you get into these conversations a lot online. How do you really approach it when you're talking about just kind of uh, policing in general, especially if it's yeah. uh, public policing versus what a yeah. lot of anarchists have kind of theorized about or, or are openly advocating for more kind of like privatized or local security forces? Yeah. So I think um, oftentimes one of the best uh, ways to bring this up, right, is that we all understand about uh, the human capacity for uh, corruption and the fact that we don't like to take responses. Sometimes we just don't like to take responsibility for things we do wrong. And I think a very easy on-road to that is the fact that um, in most of these situations with the police is that the police are a localized monopoly. So in any jurisdiction, the police are the localized security force. Um, and so one, one thing is that when, the, um, if a cop does something either illegal or they just harass you in a certain way that may be legal, um, they're, they're in some ways the judge in their own case, because they have these internal investigations all the time. And they say, we investigated ourselves and we found we did nothing wrong. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so oftentimes it's like, oh, how shocking. Uh, we would not accept this answer if it was a private company, right? If some private company wronged us in some way mm-hmm. and like Walmart or something like broke your arm or something like some Walmart security guard and Walmart's like, well, we investigated ourselves and we did nothing wrong. Generally, yeah. most people wouldn't accept that as a good, as a reasonable answer. Um, so we would expect some third party to kind of investigate here. But uh, because the the way the state is set up, they're all getting funding from the same source, right? So one of the things with policing is that like you have the, you have the DA often who uh, like statistically often always sides with the police. So there's already kind of like an invested interest in, in that. So you can kind of see how the, the incentive structure would co- sort of be skewed in favor of the police in a legal dispute. Um, you also have the case of because, because the police are a monopoly fundamentally, um, they get your tax money whether you like their services or not. Uh, just like any monopoly, they don't have an incentive to provide you a good service, right? Um, like in, if, if there was a, a one shoe monopoly in your town, for example, and they were a legal monopoly, meaning that no one else was legally allowed to buy or make shoes and sell them on the market, mm-hmm. we would expect, obviously, this monopoly would have no incentive whatsoever to make good products. And um, they wouldn't care about their customers whatsoever because like, right. where else are they going to go to get shoes, right? And we can apply that to the police, too, because the police are no matter even if the police do a bad job, oftentimes not only do they not lose money, they get more money. And that's how monopoly, state monopolies essentially function is that when the police do a bad job or when the police violate someone's rights, the, um, the answer or, or when the police fail to stop crime, let's say, uh, they get more of your money. Yeah, but the, if there was competition, we would expect uh, security officers to actually provide you a good service because on the market, they would be incentivized. They would have to provide you a good service or you could go somewhere else and just swap services. But right. you can't unsubscribe from the police. Um, if you try, if you don't pay your taxes, they will send money. They will they, they will send men with guns to go collect uh, collect you if you don't pay them. Um, yeah. Ultimately, that's the ult- ultimate end of what they'll do if you don't pay your taxes. So um, the answer ultimately is um, essentially get rid of the monopoly, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, the same standards, the same reasons we oppose private monopolies, the same incentives, corrupt incentive structure that exists for private monopolies exists for public monopolies too. And often in worse ways, especially when it's uh, security, right? So an, an easy way to think about this, if you wouldn't trust the state to monopolize, let's say, Um, food, right? We all understand that would be a very bad idea if the state was the only provider of food. 
um, or, or clothes even, or automobiles. We under, all understand this would be a very bad thing. We also shouldn't want them to monopolize security or um, dispute resolution services. Um, yeah. that, that's a, <laughs> so I, I think that's kind of an easy way to kind of go about explaining it. I feel like too, like, it's like, it's feel like everyone has a police officer in their family somewhere. And whenever he's like, well, I say that to him, I'm like, but I have cousins that are police officers and they're good guys. Like they're, you this, know, this is, they wouldn't do that, but this, you don't know. This is also the insidious nature of, um, those monopolies as well as just kind of the growth of the state is that you end up with millions of people that then defend the state because the state's basically their livelihood, right? right. Um, they're not mm -hmm. defending it based off principle or because they do or don't recognize that it does bad things to other people. They're simply just, so uh, Mike Rufo has a, a meme where we kind of like drew him out and it basically just says, thank you for protecting your pension, right? And so like every, <laughs> every single time one of these stories comes up online, like that's what we respond with because that's essentially what they're doing. At the end of the day, they're not choosing the person or the public good in a lot of these cases, and especially where there's themselves. mistreatment. Yeah, they're they're um, or if they choose to uh, I, I think I saw I think I saw you share the other day a, um, uh, a quote that pretty much sums it up. And I forget who said it, but it's essentially just walks you through the thought process of, you know, if law enforcement uh, basically swears an oath to. to oh, Robert. The laws, Hicks. Yeah. It, it, like and those laws are unjust, then therefore they are essentially. Uh, enforcing unjust laws on people uh, and that that makes them just as bad as the people that put those unjust laws in in play if not worse because they're the ones that are the the enforcement mechanism of it you know yeah and i i get that and then i think about how like and then i think too like well what other jobs are like that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like well teachers are kind of and I, how many people yeah. know teachers yeah and now there's police officers in schools with yeah. teachers yeah we we give our children to them how many hours not us, so before but how many hours a so, day so before we get on to education one, i totally one, one no it's all right one last note on the law enforcement thing is new jersey actually has a test case and this probably exists other parts of the country too but um down the jersey shore i forget if it was bayhead or bay shore um it has bay bay oh, in the name they, uh, right? they have a privatized police department does it work and if well i mean they have one of the lowest incidence rates of uh, essentially uh, complaints of violence. But were they higher force. before they went private? No, no. They uh, scuttled the police force and then basically brought in a completely contractual. So like, was it always, though, a low crime? Uh, well, I mean, it's an affluent area. So it is something where like someone could be like, oh, well, you know, those rich people can afford it or whatever. But I actually think they also operate at a lower cost structure than most the of the, the public police departments that are in other you parts You do have to wonder how much gas it costs the police officer that drives past our house eight times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Especially today. <laughs> in, this, in this day and age. I mean, like, why? All right. So let's kick it over to education. All right. So yeah. um, public monopolies go beyond just uh, use of force. They go into the oh, yes. sphere of essentially education and uh, you know, child rearing or, or essentially programming. Um, yes. I don't even think though, but this is also just going back to policemen. Like my cousins that are, I don't think they see themselves as cogs in that machine. Like I think people get into it to do the right thing. Just like teachers oh, yeah. don't realize what they're doing to kids. They think they're doing the right thing. It's this overarching behind the, I know you hate what I just said. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but it's this like behind the curtain shit. Yeah. Like they're told, like, I don't know if it's because they grew up in it as well or like, but I, I truly believe like that these people do not mean to be yeah. cogs in that machine. So, so let me ask you a question off of that, Ace. So yeah. uh, from coming from an anarchist perspective, regardless mm -hmm. of what your job is, do you think you get to uh, abdicate uh, moral, um, basically culpability for you mm -hmm. executing your job, right? Is that yeah. something you can say, well, that's just, that's just my job. Right. Yeah. I don't think that is a, like an excuse where you can like absolve yourself of moral blame, but I do, I do agree that a lot of people do go into it for what they think are altruistic reasons, right. Or like what are, might be altruistic reasons, but I do agree that it's no, it's not ultimately like an excuse, like, um, just because, you know, well, oh, well, I'm, what... I'm just doing my job, but I agree. Yeah. That's like, is that wait describe wait define for me cognitive dissonance again? Cognitive is that dissonance. Cognitive dissonance. Did I correctly use that? Well, I I think like there's... once they get in those positions. No, I I think it might not be universal cognitive dissonance. I think I think some of them might actually rationalize away that like oh well, mm -hmm. net net I do more good things than I do bad things, and right. therefore it's all right, right? Cognitive dissonance is almost like complete detachment. Like, it, but it's I think like... they do do that. No, I think some of I think them do. Teachers yeah. Definitely. Yeah, no, I think some of them definitely do. And then I think other them, others of them are essentially uh, the, the system that's in place or the, the mechanism of by which they kind of weed out the dissenters um, through, you know, the union process and things like mm, that. You know, yeah. there, there are there are teachers, there are police officers that will speak out, but they usually end up getting the shit at the stick. Well, and it's a fundamental and oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, there's just a lot of homeschool moms who were teachers. Yeah, they gave it up to homeschool. They're like, I'm not putting my kids yeah. there. Like, I'll just stay home. But go ahead. <laughs> no, the, like, I, I completely agree. Because I think that ultimately, though, it's a fundamental incentive issue, just like with the cops, how uh, even if a cop goes in to do what they think is a good thing, the incentive structure is ultimately corrupting, right? So because for a teacher, um, in the same way that um, um, this is not the case in every place, but a lot of places, right? You have a, a truancy laws where you have to, you must send your kid to school. You must send them to public school. And for, for people that I, I don't think, I, I feel like, I hope at least people will view that as a, a great social evil, uh, hundred, maybe hundreds of years in the future. But I, I think that is just like extremely awful. Like that's um, Germany right now. Right. Well, it's fun. Yeah. Is it, it's in, funny. So, is it in the United States somewhere? I don't even know. <laughs> well, Probably. it's funny because this whole idea of the school system in America yeah, came from what's known as the Prussian school system. Okay. Um, and yeah. basically, the idea was um, we need to essentially turn schools, turn education, the process of uh, becoming educated into um, almost a factory discipline. We yeah. need to turn okay. children into factory workers and we need to teach them discipline in a very structured format so and the the goal of this um by the people who created this system was to create good soldiers um lawma lawmakers and workers um for um for the society they were in um, wow. good factory we, we, workers we make and you a soldiers. good factory worker yeah 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 <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so the first thing like children learn in uh, public school is to uh, s uh, essentially view this stranger in front of them uh, who they were forced to see as an authority figure. 
That's the very first lesson uh, most children learn in school is to submit, submit to the teacher's rule to the point where most children have to like raise their hand to go to the bathroom, right? Um, I, and Michael Malice has said this in the past, but it's like public schools are, uh, it, uh, you can make a very easy connection that public schools are a type of prison. Right. They're a type of prison you get to leave uh, at a certain time every day, but nevertheless, some of the same structures of a prison exist in there. And uh, the most, and I think Michael Mouse also says that, and I think this is absolutely true, public schools are one of the only places most people ever experience physical violence in their life, mm. um, statistically. Uh, and it, it, it's, it's like, it's absolutely true. Statistically, mo like the amount of children who are bullied. If, so this is this is just heartbreaking, right? If you go into Google, go onto Google and type in school makes me and look at the results that pop up, um, the suggested search results that popped up. School makes me in Google's... Uh, are you yeah. sharing Hold the on, let me share the tab real quick. <laughs> All right, so Chrome tab, Google search. Here we go. School yeah. makes me feel mean school makes me Gosh, depressed and anxious it made me school makes me anxious. depressed school makes me feel worthless. worthless school makes me feel sick tired feel stupid yeah unbelievable those are the most common search searches that's so for school makes me that's insane i that yeah you know uh uh, I know I totally believe it though. During during yeah. COVID, um, that analogy with the prison analogy was also again. This is like you know the the freaking clown world that we live in. That analogy became a lot easier because in many school districts, the teachers didn't go back to school, but the kids did, and so the kids were in so classrooms with a virtual teacher in front of them. But guess what? Adult was in the room. The police officers? Security, security officers and police officers. <laughs> so you literally had students lined up in a classroom yeah. with a patrol officer or security officer that was armed in the room Ugh. and they had like a virtual teacher or whatever. How, um, how insane. awful and insane, but also insane. amazing is that imagery for someone who thought yeah. that their like, you know, kid was going to this fantastic place all day long. And then That's some of them life. were in like glass cases too yes. for COVID and it <laughs> yeah. was just like, that was insane. And I'll tell you, I used to work in um, a, a juvenile justice system. <clears throat> and uh, there you see it too. You want to talk jail system. And honestly, to be, I, I was glad people had guns when I was in there. Mm -hmm. I could have, I've had, I had more than my share mm -hmm. of like being a little 20 year old girl and trying to get and do things. But um I mean, the way the education in the jails works, it's like they're actually the the jail. I found this out when I was there. The jail, the the correctional, I don't know what you call it, juvenile justice system correctional center. Nope. Um, they actually make more money when kids don't get GEDs than if they do get them. <laughs> they get twelve thousand dollars less per student if they don't get a GED while they're yeah. in there. So like they're actually financially incentivized to get them through. To get them without a GED. No, wait, hold on. You got to roll that back. So they get $12,000 more if the kid doesn't, doesn't get, get a the GED. GED. Okay. So they're actually and then financially they incentivized them, for them to fail. And then they, the only people for the kids in the juvenile justice system were the Muslim. That, that the was, Muslim religious yeah, this They was, were awesome. This was an interesting story. So, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but essentially the the it was not the system that produced the people that came in that looked after these kids to try and better their lives. But it was essentially someone from the outside 
Muslim community that came in voluntarily to teach these kids. And and he got them really strict too. They wouldn't eat Twizzlers. I know that much. (laughs) (laughs) To get a teenager not to. No, but and they would drug up these kids because once you were in there, they told you what to do, what to take, and Mm. they'd all have the shuffle on. It's Mm -hmm. not. It's and you know, and the the um the racial divide was for real. Well, in public schools, you don't get to get them with a jab. You just give them uh, ADHD medication or some other shit. Yeah, and the way I mean, like, so this is like seeing the Matrix, right? Like seeing how it all connects, like pharma, all of the companies, the security, the teaching. Like, where the fuck do you have any choices left? Yeah. Right. right. Don't like he got me on taxes after my parents died. <laughs> we have learned. <laughs> I have learned about taxes, something I never yeah. knew. Or ten thousand. Like I cannot even believe how much money the state takes. And then when you finally file your death taxes for people that died, you have to yeah. wait eight months. And that entire eight months, they can randomly call you up to audit you. Yes. You like I mean, this shit is crazy. And they could yeah. send police here if we didn't pay that. Shit. I feel like, like everyone watching I can't, right now. I can't even. I feel like everyone watching right now, real time, is seeing you descend like, into. <laughs> like You're like anarchist. <laughs> Let's go. None of that shit. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> I so I in your ideal scenario. Uh, Ace, or or not yeah. your ideal scenario, because you know you're not necessarily wanting to project this, you know, a lifestyle under other people. You're, mm-hmm. you're, I mean, as an anarchist, you just want to live a free life yourself. I mean, ideally for you, I mean, it's essentially what private school and homeschooling are are kind of the, the yeah the roots. Uh, private school, homeschool, like school co-ops, things like that. Uh, yeah, anything that's voluntary is uh, uh, a okay by the anarchist standards. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so here's a question. Yeah. This is like a debate in the New Jersey homeschool world. You want to fight, right? So like the old, the OG homeschoolers, <laughs> like we're like, you don't rock the boat. You don't ask for the money that goes to the school district. You don't ask for any of those taxes back. You mm-hmm. just, they let us be mm. right. And, and then you had COVID happen and all mm. these moms came in and they're like, we should get tax credits. Right. And so they want to fight it. But the, the, Old school ones, uh, homeschoolers, like, don't fight it because you're going to mess with, like, the balance of everything. Yeah. Like, so do you just move to Acapulco? Yeah. Is that what it is? <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't even know. <laughs> uh, so, like, I, I think one of the uh, kind of, like, in my opinion, like, so I, I think, like, personally, if you can get your tax money back, you should take it. But in this scenario, I, I think there's something insidious with tax credits what, that they do yes. with you know, like homeschooling, which is that yes. they'll tr- what they'll try to do is what they often try to Testing. do when the state, yeah. yeah, the state gives you a tax credit. And what they'll do is they say, okay, we'll give you this tax credit, but you must abide by these terms and conditions. Now. Yes. Uh, that's why we're all like, so, don't rock the boat. Yeah. But what do you do? Yeah. What do you do? Do you right. move? Like, I mean, I don't even know what you do. Yeah, I, it's I, a tough scenario. I, I hold on. I'll give you the answer after. But so, <laughs> would you also extend that ace to this whole uh, voucher program that a lot of the the people on the right are trying to push? Um. So I I think like just on like a cost benefit thing, I do like vouchers just for the fact that it does give people more. It does give people more choice. Mm. Um. But on top of that, I think it's also a you know a deal with the devil type situation where it's mm. like you have more choice, <laughs> but these choices then come with like often come with like state terms and conditions, which I still think is better 
than just being forced into public schools, mind you. I do yeah. think that is a better thing, just having the choice there. But but it's still one of those situations where it's like, I think homeschooling is just a superior model to where the state is just not involved at all. Um, yeah. I think that's the best uh, of the best. It's hard because you know the minute you get a tax credit, they're like, well, yeah. this is the curriculum you have to do. It's yes, to do exactly. And all of us homeschoolers are like, shut yeah. up. Well, so <laughs> This is the discussion we've had multiple times about um, universalized healthcare. Is oh, yeah. all of these people that are are they they are would be masters or are they currently masters? They only think in terms of when they're in power, right? Yeah. And so I've had this argument with lots of people in the past. I've said like I'm not exactly against vouchers, but like just take universalized healthcare. If you had universalized health care under Democrats and then all of a sudden Republicans took over yeah, in the legislature, yeah. they're going to defund things that you thought were going to be covered. Right. And then they're going to laugh in your face when they do it. Right. I, and I'll laugh in your face when you do it, because how could you be so stupid and not see that coming? Right. The yeah. same thing happens with with vouchers or stipend programs is it's not a stone's throw away until. All right. If they lost that fight, the next fight they're going to have is, all right, if you receive public money. You have to teach this, you have to teach this, yeah. you yeah. have to do that, right? Like, and that's the one thing. So I was going to tell yeah. you what my my answer was Your going answer? to be. My answer was going to be keep your mouth shut and practice tax evasion. That's the best <laughs> way. Yeah. That would constantly every other day. Like, oh I said God, evasion. I did I did not say the other word. <laughs> yeah. Um I mean, no, I mean, I feel like there's no way. I mean, it's like all of us have said you just like because New Jersey, you don't have to like sign your kids up to it. It's like one of the only mm -hmm. states you don't have to tell them you're going to homeschool. So everyone's like, okay, if they change things and you know, with the whole vaccinate, they think eventually they'll try to vaccinate homeschoolers, put them on a registry kind of mm -hmm. thing. And, um, and so we're just, you stay as long as you can till someone comes knocking on your door and yeah. then you just flee, like because hopefully yeah. it takes forever for things to happen and. Fucking, we live in the United States of yeah. America. I mean, that's <laughs> fucked up. I, are you? I, yeah. Do you, do you fall on kind of the the agorist uh, uh, part of the 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 side here, Ace? I mean, like, is it is it of your opinion that all we really have to do is kind of like get enough people to be uh, essentially living a life that's contra to all this other crap, and that essentially the system will fall down around itself? Um. Yes. I. I. I'm. I would generally side with agorists there and I would consider like I'd consider that a very moral like strategy. Um, I, I, I think the I think um, I'm not sure the system will collapse necessarily from so some agorists make it seem like the system will collapse just from a, a certain amount of people like collecting not paying their taxes, but then right. the state can just print money. Right. So right. I, I think it, it's not as much like we're going to withhold their funds. I think the benefits of agorism that I really like are it's like, OK, we're going to carve out a little part of our world here and live mm -hmm. anarchy. That's what yeah. really attracts me. What, to, uh, can you define agorism? I don't oh, I know yes. this all the time. What it's is sorry. that? Yeah. Um, agorism is essentially what's known as counter economic action. So counter economic action would be action that's not necessarily like above board, let's say, uh, in, in legal terms, but it's actions that is both voluntary in the sense that it doesn't it doesn't create a victim. Right. It's consensual between all parties, but it's also not necessarily um always legal so right like not documenting your taxes uh for like let's say um a garage sale or something like that not not filing right. your garage sale income 
on your your tax form. That is in in some sense a counter economic sales on your income. <laughs> so, so, I've never had a garage sale. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that? just purely theoretically. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 there there are no garage sales happening. Um, no, I, technically, you're supposed to report all that shit. What about kids having a lemonade what, stand? One of the gateways into talking to people about agorism is things like that. So uh, the a, simple a lemonade stand. Um, any waiter or waitress that takes their tips in cash and don't necessarily yep. bump up their their take home pay. Yeah. Um, any of those kind of like voluntary transactions. I mean, anyone who's ever traded goods and services for gold, silver, Bitcoin, things like that. All of those are essentially agorist okay. activities. I get it. Um, it yeah. And and uh, agorism also has this element of self-sustainability, which I think yes. is whether you fall on the the agorist or or kind of like the market anarchist side of the conversation or if you fall onto like maybe the more libertarian side and and like I asked you the libertarian anarchist question yeah. before I'm like from my standpoint I think anarchy is essentially the purest form of libertarianism yes. right um it, it's it's and and what's funny is a lot of libertarians still have a, a mental block because they're there's like that border, that boundary yeah. that they're afraid to get to. But I, I think most libertarians uh, like are introduced to the term mm. through the political party, through the existence yeah. of the political party. And then that it's kind of hard for them to disconnect that. It's like, well, how can you how can the logical inclusion of this political party be anarchism? Right. You know, right. That, that I think that's sort of like why a lot of people kind of have a disconnect there. Yeah. And it's I mean, what I like about the agorist um, um, mentality or perspective or, or if you want to call it, you know, an ideal ideology or philosophy is that um, it really promotes at least either sustainability mm -hmm. or community based sustainability, yes. completely voluntary. But you would have to be. So this is my thing. You would have to have such a huge community to defend yourselves. Wouldn't you like? We're, we're, wouldn't you have to have such a huge community? So and my so FBI many, agent is buzzing so, me. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait, like the other thing is like so like so my ask, ask Ace about community dis defense or community security. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I, I think like just in, in terms of like community defense, so. There, it's absolutely true that, right, like, there's this idea of, like, you know, well, if the federal, if the entire federal government, including, like, the army and the National Guard come knocking, it, it's true that your, probably your local community isn't going to have a good time. A good time will not be had by all. Um, but with that being said, I, I think, um, generally, um, it, it's not, it, it, if, if it got to a point where, like, we can theorize how, like, well, yeah, one little community versus the entire national army, yeah, it's probably not going to turn out well. But you have to think about, like, in terms of, like, if agorism spreads and you have, like, all these different, like, disparate communities out there, it's likely not going to be cost effective for the state in general to go out and police all these different things, right? We, yeah. we talk about things like, for example, um, there's many things that are illegal in name, but are just never enforced. Um, piracy is one example i of course wouldn't know anything about that but you know I, i've heard stories that it's just never enforced yeah. um so you know uh, just things like that um so because it's just not cost effective for the state to actually go out right like you, you take down one one pirate site or something like that and then the two three more pop up uh, in the next minute so that's like Netflix sharing your password right exactly <laughs> yeah so um, in terms of like actual defense, though, 
right? So this is often a criticism against anarchism. And I think it's, a, I think it's a, on itself, it's, it's not a bad criticism in itself. Uh, I think the problem, though, is that there's just other um, instances where it applies to states as well, right? So, like, it's true that, like, if you imagine your local community versus the entire state of China, the entire country of China or something, um, right? It's obviously, yeah, China's, pro- they're going to win, right? If you, like, versus your little local community. But um, that can also apply to states too, right? So you're, if you envision, if you like think, well, that's why we need a state, you could also say, well, your state could also be invaded by a bigger state too. And then you're, you're kind of facing the same problem. So right. it's a good criticism, but it's not unique to anarchism inherently. Um, and ultimately, yeah. And ultimately there's also a good point where you, um, you actually would rather have a decentralized defense as opposed to a centralized defense. Um, and one, one example is this, uh, let's imagine that, um, let's imagine two Americas, right? One America has no central government whatsoever. You have anarchist territories all over the place, and they're not centrally controlled by any person or institution. And then the other America is the current day America where things are, we have a federal government and the nukes are controlled by the president in Washington, D.C. Mm. Okay. Scary now, thought. Yeah. Now, China, if China invades uh, both of these Americas, um, for China to actually gain, a, like to dominate America, they have to stage a land invasion and actually go through all the territories of America in the anarchist America, right? Mm. Um, versus if, if China theoretically invaded today, um, theoret- and I don't think they would do this. I don't think it's likely. So I'm not saying this is likely to happen. But if they did, theoretically, they, all, they could just take over Washington, D.C. Right, where all the people are. It's- or then that's having that central power structure and then get all the other territories in the United States to kind of surrender because they have the central power structure under their control. So and it's what much happen, better than, right. What, what would happen is Governor Phil Murphy would end up fucking still alive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, just, he would he just would he would end up it, it would no, be awful. No, I, <laughs> I, I, lo- I love that analogy because that um, makes sense to me. I, I love that analogy because most of the like, what's what's the line that Malice uses? He basically says that uh, most of the most of the critiques or or the pushback against anarchy is just a description of the current status quo, right? Yes. Um, yes. That's that, and and from that standpoint, I was talking to someone the other day about you know states' rights and decentralization, um, and and they were essentially saying well, like. Uh, well, you know, wouldn't we be weaker? Wouldn't we get invaded and that kind of thing? And they're like, what about China? China's already kind of like infiltrating our government. We've already known that freaking Swalwell had a had a, yeah. an affair with a spy and all this other stuff. Yeah. And I was like, well, what's easier to take over a country yeah. that has one or a few power seats that you or have you to have corrupt to throughout the whole or you would place. have to corrupt thousands and thousands of, of yes. you know, people, you know? Um, and I, I don't think people think that way. I think people think in terms of, uh, this kind of like archaic view of, or, or this kind of like uh, fantasy past view of what the United States used to be like, and I always take them back to the the um, I forget who it was the 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 chairman or or the the consulate that they asked from Japan, and they asked like, well, why did you never plan a, a land invasion of the United States? And dude says, because there was a freaking sniper behind every single blade of grass. Like I would yes. have to be stupid to do something yes. like that, right? You yeah. Know, uh, um, I have two questions. Good. How big is the anarchist community in the United States? And what are you a Fed? What's the difference between? <laughs> I want to know. 
do you have people who will take like come out and help and like you know watch your back uh but also um what's the difference between an anarchist community and a hippie commune Oh, this is a good because question. Because this is Ooh, what I said to him. I'm like, I'm all up for hippie commune. Okay, so, we have bonfires and dancing. So I our, our make jewelry. Our numbers are estimated but not accurate. So let's not even talk about that. But um let, let, <laughs> well, let's discuss let's discuss I, I do think it's a, I do think it's a hard question, like estimating the numbers. You know what I mean? Are there like, like just, bigger communities that are in the or did people kind of lay low? I think it's very disparate. I, I think it's very people lay low and it's I don't think that I, I don't know of like I know of a couple like anarchist places in the world, but I don't know of like any anarchist communities necessarily in America specifically. Yeah. So okay. let, let's talk to talk the dynamic. So this is something that comes up a lot, especially within, you know, anarchy circles where everyone's like, well, you know, ANCOMs or ANSOCIAs are not anarchists, right? Because they believe in mm -hmm. some level of, you know, centralization of power or forced association or, or theft. Right. Um, but in, in a lot of cases, like, so I, I don't know if you've, spoken with magnus panvidia in the past but yeah he, he coins himself as basically an anarcho-mutualist so he mm -hmm. believes in kind of this hippie commune life but um, so volun voluntarily right yeah um but so what, what's your take on that dynamic like is is that something first of all is that a, even an important conversation to have or is it just cool if like a bunch of people are like whatever you're and so shancom i don't care just as long as you're not a freaking neocon or a liberal corporatist like i, I don't yeah care. like i i'm like i'm willing to let people like define themselves in terms of terms you know what i mean but it, yeah. it, from my standpoint i do think that is absolutely anarchism right because it's like mm -hmm. um so a good way to view anarchism is anarchism is a relationship so i think when a lot of people talk about anarchism they hyper focus on what an anarchist society would look like because understandably so because it's like you know kind of this really like esoteric thing that we're promoting right but anarchism at its base is ultimately just a relationship relationship between people so whenever you are in interacting with another person in a voluntary manner and neither of you are trying to like in, in, impinge on another person's boundaries like through force fraud or you know anything like that um you're treating another person as an end in themselves you're treating them as a sovereign in terms of their boundaries and they're treating you as a sovereign in terms of your boundaries so whenever you guys are interacting voluntarily that's an anarchist relationship there because no one is I trying to rule that. over the other. Yeah. yeah. I well, love that. And I feel like um, that means that hippie communes are like a subset of anarchism. Well, oh, yeah. Yeah. No, some of them are what, what defines it is whether or not there is, you know, essentially a, a purely voluntary uh, association amongst all the people well, in there when, but, yeah. but you've heard you've heard me say in the past that collectivism is a disease right like that's what people that what that's what keeps people from uh truly understanding the the nature of anarchy it's okay just quickly like they identify collectivism so collectivism is any time when an individual identifies uh more with the collective than they do with themselves as an okay. individual right okay. um so for instance I, I think ace would be on board with this part of the uh propagandizing or the brainwashing that happens in schools is when you have to salute the flag right like yeah. or that, like COVID and nationalism is collectivism right right um yes yeah the mass formation of of basically this pro-covid regime that we have is a, a yeah. form of collectivism, right? Okay. It's it's us first them kind of. So situation. when there's like a larger thing that people hail to before they're into like, 
it's kind of what we talk about. We're so, always like, can so we just get back to nature? For and instance, like... if you had a hippie commune where everyone was cool, you shared everything, it was yeah. all, and then someone's we're like, not, like talking someone's like, these are my strawberries. I freaking grew these strawberries. <laughs> and everyone's like, hey, you got to share those strawberries. And, and they're like, fuck it, I'm out. And they take their strawberries and they're like, oh, no, 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 you can't leave. That's no longer, that's okay, no longer I get anarchy. It. I get it. That makes yeah. Sense. yeah. And I feel like when you were talking about the whole voluntary thing, I just pictured myself going into the local coffee shop. Yeah. yeah. Voluntarily go yeah. there. When it, voluntarily the, get my coffee and I'm happy to pay because I know the owner. Yeah. Yeah. That's the cool thing about anarchism that I think like a lot of, I think anarchists should promote more, which is the fact that uh, anytime you're in an interaction where it's completely voluntary, you're acting as an anarchist. Um, so most people are act as anarchists uh, 99% of their lives, right? That's like most an people. amazing point. Like if, if yeah. people could get that and just yeah. like sit back with the fact that like I voluntarily, I don't, there's no need to do it. There's no push, no force, right? I've, and how many times do you do that in a day? Mm. Like yeah. that you're already practicing. That's like a huge. It is. A huge piece of it to me. Yeah. Saying that. Yeah. I, so it, Go ahead. I think you, oh, oh, no, sorry. If you no, no, go ahead. No, I was just going to pull up uh, Dan Francisco's in the chat and he said, uh, you guys still talking about Antifa? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if you've interacted with Dan online. He's an awesome dude. Um, he's uh, uh, Blue Star Unions, uh, like a nonprofit here in New Jersey. That's like uh, awesome for natural rights to a and everything oh, cool. like that. Um, and, uh, he's, he's done fantastic work. He's in fact, uh, working on a, uh, hopefully I'm not, uh, blasting him in a way that I'm not supposed to be talking about this, but, uh, he's, he's a plaintiff in a lawsuit against the state of New Jersey fighting against the freaking cruel laws that the state in this, in the state, the state has against the citizens in this state about being able to defend themselves. So, uh, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, but can I have another question? This is a voluntary so a society. Go ahead. So if we were to move toward a more anarchist society, what what has to happen? Well, I don't governmentally even, and like I'm I'm gonna cut off and... I'm gonna cut Ace off for a second. I'm gonna say I don't think you should think that way. I think you should think you just do you. I, I don't think you th should think in terms of societal like just if it, you if it gets to that point, great. And your family. Right. Okay. So uh, what would you yeah. say to that question, Ace? Is I would I would completely or? jump off of what you just said there because I think that's a, oh. that's a key point, right? I, I think a lot of people talk think about like what has to happen socially, uh, but and, and, and you and, can't and do it, it for other people because it's not voluntary, right? Well, well yeah, you you can't do I'm it for other people. That in some sense, <laughs> they have to they have to kind of come to it on their own. But yeah. it's also to a point where uh, the um, H L Macon has this great quote where it's like he's like i love liberty but i don't love it enough to force it on other people <laughs> which yeah. is kind of paradoxical but it's kind of it it's kind of has truth to it where it's um uh it's this case where it's like you first you kind of have to start with yourself right so anarchism i think is best described as an ethos it's kind of like this everyday thing you sort of have to like live uh because like i you the, the truth is right we can't control the outcome ultimately of like whether the state's going like like the, the i don't mean to say that we're powerless but it's like there's a lot of things that are just out of our control of our everyday lives mm -hmm. um, but what is in your control is how you treat other people Right. Uh, every day you can choose to treat other people as an anarchist. You can choose to treat people as beings with uh, with rights that should be respected um, with like human dignity and things like that. Uh, and you can always choose to do that. Uh, that is always within your power. 
Um, uh, so that is, I think, what people should promote um, to other people. And it's like, yeah, look, anytime you you are treating another person with um, as as a sovereign, as an end in themselves, in some sense, um, as uh, something that uh, like this person has uh, inherent moral dignity and rights. Uh, you're treating them as an anarchist and uh, you should, and when you frame it in that sense, I think more people tend to get it because it's like, oh yeah, I do that all the time. So, and the, uh, the only discrepancy and the only discrepancy is the state is the only institution in society that does not do that. The state treats you as a means to their end. Um, they treat you as a, as a tool, as a cog in their machine. How did Cal Russell Brand say it today? A hemorrhoid on the asshole of something of oh, society on the yeah. hemorrhoid on the asshole <laughs> <laughs> that's how we're doing <laughs> so <That was> awesome. <laughs> so let, let's let's go down that road a little bit so let's kind of like go down the road yeah. um this gets talked about a lot and go and can cause people to go around in circles and i know you uh discuss this a lot online um the idea of you know kind of the the foundations of um anarchy being essentially self self-sovereign um mm -hmm. and um I, I guess you would maybe kind of agree with the idea of say like natural law right um yeah not ne not necessarily natural law in the context of you know one creator saying what is just what's right. observable right just, uh, just what is like uh that there are natural um norms there are natural mm. moral laws that we should abide by or that right. that is morally good like it is like it is objectively wrong to like murder it is objectively wrong to rape to steal things like, like that those are like the cornerstones of most religions and spirituality as well like well those corn well i mean <laughs> whether they practice them or not that's yeah. like <laughs> but like even the oldest most ancient ones have the do no harm you know, peace. I think it's very intuitive for a lot of people too, and just in general, that that's a, yeah. just an intuitive thing that most people. Although, most people you know what? I feel like, and I've talked to Matt about this a lot. I've said so many people are on mood altering drugs, <laughs> and so many people are on fucking pharmaceuticals that have all <laughs> kinds of fucking mood altering side effects. <laughs> that who's a real person anymore? Like, and honestly, all people <laughs> piss that shit into our water. And we're using that water and that doesn't get filtered out. Like, I don't even know where we're going with this whole world right now. But like, I feel like people don't, there's problems. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to say it. But there's so many people that are disc. I just read a post today that said, have you ever thought about women who meet men and they're on birth control, which is giving them hormones. And then they break up as soon as they get off birth control because they don't like them anymore. And you think about how many women are on fucking birth control. Yeah. Like we're so altered by pharmaceutical drugs that I don't even know if we have that natural instinct to give a shit about each other. Like, I don't even think it's there. I've watched, and on top of it, add social media and you add these elements of like being behind a screen and being a dick to everyone. I don't know. I feel like <laughs> well, hold on. there's to, so much there you, to you, unpack. <laughs> you have to, Are we human? You have to kill the onion I back. don't trust people anymore. Yeah, you have to kill the saying. onion back. But, <laughs> but so... Um, from that standpoint, like discussing in good faith, Ace, like what do you think the, the biggest hangups are for people really trying to get that, uh, 
baseline understanding of that kind of like, you know, just the natural state of things or, or the, the natural morality that exists, regardless of how they get to it, whether they think there's some supreme mm -hmm. being or whether or not they think it's just exists because they do. Um, <laughs> what, what do you think the biggest hangups are? Um, so I, in terms of just like uh, morality in general, like having there's an objective moral and like how people come to it or, or, or sorry, how like, um, or just the biggest hangups to recognize it, I guess. Is that yeah, like what what are the biggest mental blocks? Because I think a lot of people um for that natural. I, law, I think it would saying? I think it would resonate with them. I mean, some of the stuff that you were talking about where um they may just be kind of like shells of themselves because they've been beaten up by the system or or they've been or, essentially, you know, um, put on mood altering stuff. Or the other thing being religion is also one of these things that really kind of it can it can help the conversation or it can really hurt, hurt the it. conversation because yeah. from my from my perspective there's also been a lot of co-opting of religions to mm -hmm. meet yes. political ends i mean you yeah, see yes. it happening in the vatican right now right like right i mean it's it's it is it is like it just is right um but so like what are the biggest things that you come up against in terms of having that conversation? Is it simply just the definition of words? Like I'd imagine that gets in the way a lot. Yeah. Semantics are a big problem. Uh, language is a harsh mistress. Uh, yeah. Um, it, um, so I, I, I think in terms of like morality, I, I think in terms of like, when you talk to people for, mo for me, it mostly, it's very easy to get people on board with the idea that, uh, you should not uh, rape, murder, or steal. Most people like tend to internalize that from the people I've spoken to. And I would actually argue that it's mostly cognitive dissonance. Uh, it's it's a separation they make between well, it's it's uh, it's uh, you know it's wrong for me or you to murder or st steal. But these people called the government, if they have a badge or they have a certificate that they wrote themselves, they get to do it. Right. Yeah. It's OK for them to do it. And I think it's this I think it's this uh, cognitive dissonance where it's like uh, they create this separation between, uh, oh, well, it, 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 you know, it's it's if I went up to you with a gun and said, give me your money, I want to give it away in your name. Uh, you would call the cops. But who do you call when <laughs> it's the cops doing that? Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. say you, you need to pay your taxes. <laughs> If there's so many people that like what I would think is natural, and this is just going back, and I'm totally taking it, totally stop me if I'm like drunk or something. No, <laughs> but it go like I was just having this conversation about the Roe v. Wade thing mm -hmm. with Matt, and I'm like, I am appalled at how many women are calling, and and whatever you believe is fine, but like for the murder of babies. Not that it's a problem. Like, I don't even, I'm totally for it in certain ways and certain avenues. But like all these women out there screaming to kill babies and happy about it. And like, to me, that's so anti what a woman is. And we are in this weird fucking sphere of a world where I don't, I feel like I don't trust the human beings around me. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I don't know. There's such anger and people get crazy over certain things and they'll like totally drop friendships that you don't have, you have no idea why, or, you know, it's right. And do you feel well, what I'm saying? No, so, Can you translate me? Yeah, no. Like, <laughs> so take a hot button issue, issue like that, Ace, like, um, mm. As as someone who believes in self sovereignty, as someone who believes in, um, you know, kind of the 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 natural state of things, um, where do you kind of like fall on that? Like, I mean, I can tell you that my position is that great. The Supreme Court said that it goes to the states, and then I think the next mm -hmm. step is to tell the states to go fuck off, and then the local community okay. should then be the next level, right? But 
Right. Um, I mean, like, where, where do you kind of like sit on that level? Because it is an extremely it's hot a weird level. Issue. It's a weird issue. Yeah. I mean, I think this is also like a divisive issue just for libertarians in general. And mm. it, it, it it's understandable why, why right? It's like on one level, like for some libertarians, it'll be like, uh, the the argument because if you start from an argument of self sovereignty, they'll say that well, it's my body, it should be my choice, right? That's a very common thing, even for libertarians. And then for other libertarians, they'll be like, well, uh, the baby has a right to. So it really fundamentally comes down to like uh, whether you believe the the child has rights. I will. I I tend to argue that uh, I do believe they have rights. Um, so my argument is a little bit nuanced here. So I I, I my argument is that. Um, the, you do, so you would have, you do technically have a right, and this is going to sound like really almost autistic, like going down to breaking it, like property analogies here. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So my thought process here is that while I do believe you have a right to evict, I don't necessarily believe you have a right to, to kill in your eviction. Right. Mm. So for example, if, if, um, um, so like, this is going to sound like we're going to go to some really wacky places here. Let's imagine like a mad scientist, for example, stitched us together with our intestines. Okay. Now, while I think both people, both parties here would have a right to evict each other from the other person's body. I don't necessarily believe that you would have a right to kill the person in the eviction. Um, Mm. Uh, it, so there's a certain level of proportionality uh, that must uh, that kind of has to has to like be at play here, right? Yep. Um, so so um, ultimately, I so maybe this is a, a, a another point with uh, like, but I think there's another point where people are like, well, you know, doesn't that doesn't that mean cops will be like really invasive now? You're sending police in to like you know. Uh, investigate like you know potential abortions and things like that um i i so my my position is i am not saying that i necessarily want i I, like i do not want that to happen right because i personally speaking i believe in uh, restorative justice i believe in restitution when possible so i'm Mm -hmm. not in favor of like um i'm not necessarily in favor of like state punishments um, so that's where I would I, I I technically make both sides mad here uh, yeah. because on one hand I, I do think that uh, I do think on I do think a, a strict libertarian answer would say that you have a you have a right to evict but you don't have a right to kill in your eviction but on the other hand I don't want cops going around necessarily and uh, right. arresting people or them throwing them in it. prison yeah. you don't yeah. I don't want people thrown in prison for this. So, so like I come from and and I I you know as a woman I took a morning after pill once in my life and I was definitely needed and whatever you know I never had an abortion but I did have a stillbirth the same week as my best friend had an abortion mm-hmm. but um I I mean and I get the mother's body thing but to me it's like what struck me the most was women who birthed this world into existence like just calling for murder i i did like it was it whether you sit on one side or the other i was like absolutely taken aback by that piece of it and so that's why i don't trust people anymore i don't know where they're going i don't know how well programmed they are well the way the way i also the way i also kind of like resolve this issue is that pretty much the you, you need to make those decisions as close to the stakeholders as possible Okay. Mm. Um, 
I am not a stakeholder in someone's life who lives in California. I just am not. Right. right. Like, and how can you say they, they, someone in California? I mean, be. like they might do something that is a butterfly effect that ends up affecting me in New Jersey. But quite frankly, like, what do I give a shit what a woman does with her body in California? Right. So it should be taken care of in California. Well, why would right. You care what a woman but, does in your town. And but a woman doesn't. What's the difference? But so then within California, there's a huge diversity of thought. There's a huge diversity of community within California. So who has the right in Sacramento? to determine what someone in San Diego does with their body, right? So, all right, let's knock it down to the next level. And then you can so go now, easily to the next place right? should you need to So go. I think the, the local community-based decision-making is important here. I don't think it should be criminalized. I know that this pisses off like people that are purists mm -hmm. on the pro-life side, but yeah. I don't think it should be criminalized because the moment you criminalize it, you end up with shit that's just as bad. Well, you have black market shit as the as the alternative. Not that black market's bad. <laughs> as as the alternative. Well, no, I but, mean, and that's the other thing. You end up with bad shit. That's what Dirty Dancing was about, right? No, 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 like stop, everyone stop. remembers the romance, but, uh, but in the end. But so, like to that point, right? Like it it makes more sense to be dealt with on a community level as well because this is such a nuanced it's thing so nuanced. that. The the correct answer is probably at, that there is no good answer. No good answer. Right? I agree. And it should be up to individuals, families, and at most the local community around them in order to figure out, you know, how you move forward. Right? But like, and, and just think about it this way. Who does it, mm -hmm. like, in the centralized authority structure that we have right now, it affects state funding because if the child now needs to either, if, if the child uh, is basically their their pregnancy is terminated and the state pays for that or subsidizes it it affects the taxpayers mm -hmm. if the child is had and ends up in the welfare system it affects, it affects the taxpayers right, so here's it the shouldn't thing. have to get to that point it should be a local community if system. i lived in a community and i have always by the way i've always wanted i I, th I think it's so weird to say this word but i think orphanages have been absolutely like just demonized and i rap. think they could yeah. be amazing mm -hmm. i did oh, work yeah. with one orphanage as an, an expressive art therapist and like every week they had new artists in the boys were amazing like i feel like orphanages have been absolutely dehumanized I, well who I crowded was, the orphanages I out had, well no i'm telling you <laughs> who right crowded now, the orphanages out? i don't fucking know but i the government I, stop, that's who did it. okay so if i had <laughs> a spot in an anarchist community i would totally run the orphanage yeah <laughs> I would totally run the orphanage and I would rock that shit. I would homeschool everyone. We would have a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> this is that brings out actually a, a great point because when a lot of times when you talk about anarchism, uh the one of the first things people will come at you with is, well, who would run this, this, or this, right? Mm. Or who would help who would help the poor? And and my question is, well, why wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> I would totally run the orphanage. <laughs> like my answer to that is, well, why wouldn't why won't you have like do, can you help these people? Is there a reason I mean, that you you're not? <laughs> people want to help when they, they have do. Energy. They do. I feel like we have so much sickness, but like when they yeah. have the energy, and and here's the other thing: the stress of our lives because of taxes, because of everything that we have to do. You have to keep up so much to play with. Like, I mean, you have to keep up so much to keep your life in like a stable place. Like mm -hmm. the stress levels are huge, and how can you just? You can't help anybody. You can't even help your own kids. You're so happy to get them off to their fucking soccer game or something or get them off to school, right? Not us. 
that, that, that's not in, the stress level but that's not unintended that's a feature of the system that's been put in place well i'm sure because they just have to continually pump it up and push it up well, i mean like it, it keeps you from rioting in the streets is what happens you're too exhausted yeah you're like i need a vacation <laughs> and i can't afford it so i better work 40 more hours <laughs> but like you know like i think people are like who would do that but if they had the time and the energy they would like people would find meaning yeah. in life. we talked about this other day no one has meaning in life anymore well so i i think the between your point and aces is is absolutely like there's a lot of crossover there i think a lot of people have come to either expect or come to just assume that uh you know they can vote for someone that will yes. take care of the do thing it for them that they think is is yes. needed yeah. right but the government sucks at that shit. so i mean the the, the governmental structure that's in place cool. essentially destroys that like would you agree with that ace absolutely 100 because for one uh the government has an incentive this is unlike and this is goes back to like you know monopoly versus a competitive market the government mm -hmm. has an incentive to do a bad job because then they get more money because uh, they'll say, oh, we'll fix it next time, right? And then they do a bad job and they'll say, well, we, we need more money to fix it again. Um, so they have this constant, like, uh, infinite regression of incentive structures that'll just say, oh, yeah, we just need more and more money. But, and, and, and to the point where it's like, uh, as far as like local communities go, it absolutely, most people, and this is like, uh, this is, uh, comes from a, uh, like what I would call a Hobbesian mentality. Thomas Hobbes famously said that, well, people in the state of nature, their lives are just uh, like uh, short and brutish. It's uh, just an awful time. And people are essentially just always trying to kill each other. Right. Mm. And, and that's sort of like the natural state of humanity, but that's not true. Like yeah. the, we, there are con constant instances where people just go out of their way to help another person, even when they receive no benefit to it. And in, in, often in like really like horrific situations like natural disasters, where they'll often like there's a good oh, chance. Like they could die this. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, people are not naturally evil. Um, they, they do want to help. They do want to do good. Um, that you know there's uh, there's of course people who do want to do bad but it's not you can't just you know generalize and just say that sometimes though i think for people to come together it has to be like a massive fucking problem oh yeah that's like 9 11 yeah. totally brought new jersey new york together so like mm -hmm. I, I get that like i mean for like, i had lived in massachusetts which is where all the airplanes came out of and my uncle died in the second tower and my whole friends and family worked in the city and yeah. i remember like i was in massachusetts during that and my family was calling me like, it's amazing here i'm like i don't know what's going on yeah here. No, no. <laughs> yep. yeah but in new york and new jersey that lasted for about 15 minutes i then... heard it lasted for a year it nah, didn't last nah, for a year nah. and then after that know. like people would pass by you in the subway and they'd be like "Fuck you buddy like you know <laughs> But it takes like yeah. a major event, you know, and it's like you fucking lost out here. You know, I, I don't know. I, I do there. I mean, I don't want to sound so awful. I do believe in human nature and the people I meet that are like on the road to spirituality of whatever kind, like just some kind of meaning in life. It doesn't even matter if it's spirituality. They rock my boat. Yeah. And I feel like let's start a hippie commune. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, you know. <laughs> There, there's, uh, I, I think uh, what you said before was was completely correct though. Whereas, like, uh, there's this offsetting of responsibility uh, where, like, well, you say, well, I don't need to, you know, help the, I don't need to help this person who's homeless right now. I pay my taxes, right? Because yeah. like, Ugh. well, the government will solve it. Yeah. The government will create some policy. They'll solve this issue for me. I don't need to do anything. So it really lessens the uh, responsibility someone feels 
in their direct community this is like well this this you know um institution that's taking my money they're they're supposed to handle it that's their job whereas um before um you know there's there used to be these things called mutual aid uh, societies or associations mm-hmm. or fraternities where um people who were poor or just like uh, just downtrodden in society um, they would come together and they would provide services that none of them could afford individually in kind of a mutual pool. They would, yeah, and they would socialize their uh, services together. So like if one person couldn't afford like either housing or medicine or uh, uh, medical procedures or something, or just even like just investigation, or like maybe the government didn't provide them good police services, they would provide communal or a mutual um, defense fund. This goes to a question I thought of before, but I forgot to ask. But yeah. it makes sense now that you've said that, which is how do you feel about insurance? Because oh yeah, like I've so, fucking can't stand insurance because I'm a holistic person and it never fucking covers anything. Wait, I wait, wait, hold, about. hold on, hold on. It's let funny let because let no, it's funny because <laughs> this this is actually leading to a point where I was going to end with here uh, for this particular point um, where. Um, <laughs> it's funny because this is actually this was actually insurance before it was bastardized Mm -hmm. um which is that you had people who would pull their resources together and um um provide so a classic example of this um oftentimes um what these mutual aid associations would do is they would provide medical care for Mm -hmm. their um or they would contract medical care out for their members right um, and what would happen is you would have these doctors who would be who would be directly contracted out to these mutual aid associations. And what would happen is these doctors would then compete for the contracts. Right. Mm-hmm. So what this would do is this would lower the price of healthcare because you had these doctors competing mm-hmm. to be the one who would contract for this mutual aid society. Right. And a bunch of the doctors to feel these uh, these doctors like these uh, that would happen is that they would say, we don't like this because it's driving the cost of medical care down too low. We are not being paid enough for our service. So you know what they did? A lot of them did is that they went to the government and the government essentially created the American Medical Association, the AMA. Oh my God. And what happened oh is the AMA was granted essentially a legal privilege to determine who could become a doctor. And they're taking licenses of doctors who call yes. this COVID bullshit. Yeah. And That's they're taking the, the and they, they would, they would threaten strip licenses from the doctors who provided medical care oh. to these poor mutual aid associations. Stop. They would threaten to strip them of their licenses to be doctors if this happened. And that is, this so goes back the, to my first government... question of licensure. <laughs> Yeah, the right. government. Yeah, the government terrible. essentially destroyed mutual aid associations, and they wow. essentially the reason healthcare costs in this in, in, right now are just so exorbitant are because the government destroyed competition. The government and the AMA working together destroyed medical competition and practices. Well, I say to Matt all the time. I say like, I'm sorry, I totally cut you off. Did you want to say something? No. Uh- Go ahead. Well, I say to him all the time, like insurance and medical places are like in it together. Like they never think about like doing anything for the people. There's just, you have to run through every fucking test when it has nothing to do. Like my mom went in to the, 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 I'm sorry, you totally throw your head down. My mom went in for COVID in the hospital and she ended up with five different fucking tests and like all these medications for heart shit. And like, 
she didn't need that. Like there's, there's these things, these protocols they put in that give all this money to the doctors that take the money. Like, it's just, it's just a fucking laundering so, system. So full disclosure, I, I, I have worked in the insurance industry for <laughs> oh, years. I've tried to explain this to her in the past. It's very difficult. <laughs> um, it's essentially a cartel is what it's it is. Totally. Um, yes. And, and it it, uh, it it works through a process of essentially non-transparency. There's a complete lack of transparency in terms of pricing, absolute cost per procedure. So you have absolutely and no idea. And it the pharmaceuticals too, well, sure. and, and not to mention the fact that price shopping is almost impossible. Um, so much so that when you do try, try and price shop, the people at the medical office look at you like you have 15 heads. Like, well, what why are you asking with my how arm? much something costs, right? We like had, <laughs> we had, I broke three, three bones in my arm and Matt had oh. a repricer. I was like, I dislocated my elbow. I was trying to longboard for the first time ever and have <laughs> drinks. <laughs> hey. It cost me many, many months. Yeah. But like, I had, First of all, we didn't have medical insurance. And the guy took thousands of dollars from me before he said, I'll, now that I've diagnosed you and tell you what you need, I'm no longer going to work with you because you don't have health insurance. But he oh. had a repricer. Wait, wait, was, that wasn't the fireable offense. The fireable offense was my medical bill repricer contacted the office manager who sets all of the pricing and does all the billing for the office. And the moment that uh, I said I had a medical bill repricer, that was the moment that we got we got fired. We got fired. I was like, you were... and then I went yeah. to another surgeon who was like, first of all, this guy said I needed $150,000 six hour surgery. I went to another surgeon and she, and I said, I don't have health insurance. I was just told this. I, she was like, just she said, do some physical therapy. I don't think you need surgery. Like just do three months of physical therapy. And I'm like, all right, it all works. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I mean, I was such a fucking scam. Yeah. And this yeah. is what insurance companies set you up yes. for. If I had insurance, I would have had. And she had told me if I had gotten that surgery that he had explained to me, I would have had less mobility, less, fle less flexibility, and I would have probably had to get it redone in, in like 13 years. Yes. So like and had I had insurance, I wouldn't have gone for the second opinion because it would have been taken care of and I would have been fucked. Yeah. Like, yes. That's the crazy. The state, so um, when people talk about like how, well, we need socialized medicine because the costs are so high, I they've diagnosed the problem correctly in this, or in the sense that the, the costs are so high, but the problem is that they um, the their solution to the problem is not correct, right? Like we, because they have this weird belief that we live in a free market. We don't. We live in a captive market. Yep. We live in a, car, a cartel market. So what, because what happens yeah. yeah. So, so what, what the state does ultimately is the state uses licensing. The, the problem with the state, what the state does with licensing is this is the means they use uh, to um, create a captive market because the state determines who can work in this industry and how many people can work in this industry at a time. Right. Yeah. And they often have divisions and boards to determine this. Um, so what happens is um, when they do this, when licensing does is licensing is ultimately the state taking your rights and selling them back to you. Um, and what oh, when they do this? Stop! <laughs> stop! That's ridiculous. I'm totally coming out of this. Yeah. Oh, I'm not living down. <laughs> That's so. Wait, really quickly, not to cut you off, yeah. but like but I. You're going to. to yeah. <laughs> 
So I'm not, I'm a therapist, but I never got licensed because I didn't want to yeah. work in certain areas where they were going to force me to work for two years. Yeah. So I never did it. And then um, I had a friend of mine who said that they knew someone who went to a therapist over the whole COVID thing for depression, right? Do you remember the story I was telling you? Mm -hmm. And she would go, and it was a psychiatrist who gave her drugs, but she was supposed, every time she'd like put her, like she'd call for her appointment, she would call for a 20 minute appointment at least, right? Or it was a half hour appointment or 20 minute appointment. And she was supposed to have a full 20 minutes to talk through how she was feeling on the medication and, you know, kind of say what's up and have a little bit of a therapy session and then get her, you know, drugs or whatever. So, um, now for, I think almost two years, her appointment has been six minutes. And the reason he leaves is because he has another call. This guy makes $250 per every six minutes he sees her. He's supposed to be 20 or 30 minutes. I forget. What did I tell you originally? No, 20? I think it was 20 minutes. 20 minutes. But he, what he ends up doing is he ends up triple booking every 20 triple books session. <laughs> Wait, listen to how you're and, the mathematician. And, and how much does he fucking make? No, he, he this shit is sick. He made like $1.2 million last year. And it's oh. he's essentially just a fucking tele giving drug. He's yeah. just a, a telemedicine pill popper. And yeah. insurance pays for it. Yeah, it was, and they have the no fucking clue. The insurance guidelines. But All so, he does yeah. is like follow the rules of insurance and just like go. And she's like, I don't know. I haven't said more than two words to him in like two years since COVID started. Right. And she's like, but she needs her medication. She believes she needs her medication, so she continues going. But she she hasn't talked to him in two years, like yeah. that. And that's what the insurance that we do right now is like breeding. You know. Yeah. Definitely abuse of the system by doctors, abuse of the system by customers, like or patients. Mm -hmm. I say customers. I'm not going to say patients. Fuck that shit. No, they should be <laughs> treated like customers instead of patients. Yeah. Because I think right now it, they're, they're not that way. But that's I, what the insurance breeds. Talking about solutions that are in line with mutual aid. Are, are you familiar with uh, John Bush's freedom cells, Ace? Uh, yes. Yes. A okay. little bit. I, not, not probably as much as I should be and as much as some people are, but I am familiar with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very comparable to, um, not necessarily purely mutual aid, but I mean, it's essentially community building at the very essence of creating yeah. these, uh, subunits that are, uh, self-sustaining. Um, but then also allowing those subunits to essentially, um, specialize and then work with the other groups. So like mm -hmm. all these issues that we've been talking about and, and, we haven't really gotten involved in this movement, but I've heard like fantastic results from it. Um, it's, it's really that idea that like every single one of these units of eight, which is eight families or eight individuals, um, then can uh, basically voluntarily associate with um, other groups of eight. Uh, and, you know, these other groups might have certain uh, specialties or certain skill sets that would be of value to all the other different cells that are out there. Um, it's absolutely fantastic idea. Uh, the the key is being able to build the connections and and then have people that are willing yes. to like put these skills together, you know. Um, but a very voluntarist like anarchist idea, which I which I yes. think was absolutely fantastic. Um, but yeah, it's uh, the the downfall of mutual aid societies. Um, some of these fraternal cultural organizations that we yes. used to have in the United States. Uh, charity hospitals, orphanages, you know, religious based charities. I think all of these things are, are, we should be mourning them because the, or, or at least we should trying to recreate them, you know? Well, yes. Yeah. And, 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 and name that, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Give me oh, no, no, I'm, yeah, sorry. I'm sorry. You can go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I was just saying in a name that's like, 
fucking humane. Yeah. That's all. Well, no. The, Just humane. Yeah, like not shot. fucking yeah. prisons where you throw kids. Yeah, exactly. Or... Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. you know, a, a big thing, and this is like, it's not an accident. This is not merely an accident where mutual aid societies are lost to history. I, I truly believe it's intentional that most people just have never heard of them. Mm. Um, for one, uh, because the state needs the state needs a like the state has to create reasons that it ha the state has to create problems that it needs to solve. Right. That's how they yeah. generate uh, their reason for their own existence. Right. Um, mm. So, for an example, I think it's like one a, a third or a quarter of all people during the Great Depression were a part of a mutual aid society. One fourth to one third of all people in America were a part of at least one mutual aid society at a time. That is a massive number. And the yeah. fact that most people have never read that in their history books, that's not in any history books, that's criminal, right? Mm -hmm. That, that they've, they've completely erased an important part of like cultural history uh, that like, and the reason why I, I truly believe is they have to create this narrative that without them, people would starve. That's never been the case. Like that, they, they have to create this false version of human existence, of human life, where the, these people, they need us, they need, you know, they need to be, you know, we need to be coddled by the state. We need, uh, you know, without welfare, people would just die. It's just, it's not, it's never been true historically. It's so never been the case. It's just when you say mutual aid society, I know my dad yeah. used to talk about because when he was a baby boomer, so he was born in 47. So he, when he was like, I guess like 10, 11, 12, he used to say <laughs> that in Queens, there was like a free clinic on every corner and nobody mm -hmm. went to the hospital. Is that what you're talking about? Uh, that's, like no that's one went a, to the hospital. It was just, you went to the clinic and got cough medicine or something. Yeah. Or that, was that, that could government be. Based? I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, it could, that could have been, it could have been government based. I, I don't like, with, I, I don't know enough with the information, you know what I mean? But it's yeah. like, but it also could, it could have been a mutual aid society as well because mutual aid societies also, um, usually the, the idea behind mutual aid is that, um, you pay like a very little small amount of money to it. And then like a very, like every month, and then they will provide you like social services because like people coming together, pooling their resources to provide services that they could not afford individually, but they also provided charity work as well for free. So that could have been a mutual aid society as well. Um, I, I'm, I'm not sure, but that is kind of like in line with that is kind of like in line it was in line with what the goal is. Yeah. And it makes um, me think a little bit too about like church, like, and you, I know yeah. you're anti-religion, but like how some, like whoa, just the human, whoa, whoa, not anti-religion. I shouldn't have said I'm that. I'm not anti-religion. I know. <laughs> organized religion. Is that better? No, no, I'm not okay. anti-organized religion. Um, but like, it makes me think of the people that are very into religion and mm -hmm. the want to help people that yeah. happens yeah. in that. Like, there's so many people that like do pack like schools coming. They're all packing school bags to send to freaking other countries and like the poor communities. And this is happening, you know, and that mm -hmm. happens. I don't mean to say that you're anti anything. No, I, I, I'm, I do not come at it from, for a long time I was uh, religious and then for a long time I was atheist. And now I, I would consider myself more spiritual than anything else. But, um, there's value in those community building organizations, right? Um, a, a lot of churches do extreme amounts of positive, positive work within their communities. I, I think people that need to understand that if they are religious, that the state is a direct competitor to their religious organization to do those things. They, um, 
uh, they restrict their ability to do it. They have certain rules and regulations where they stop the church from being able to do. Does that uh, happen a lot? I feel like the government and church are in, together. No, not not, not, a, not at all. Not at all. Um, I mean, in some cases, yes, they are. If, if it's like the higher ranking you know, officials within it. I mean, shit, Jacobin had a letter that tried to make Joe Biden look like the second coming of Jesus Christ, for fuck's sake. But, um, <laughs> you know, it, it was like. Uh, you know, the 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 idea of religion is not necessarily a bad thing because it comes from a, a place of community. Mm -hmm. I've known lots of people who yeah. could almost care less what the, the guidelines of the religion are. They it's, just it's want the to community. help. Yeah. A community. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in, in the end, like we talk about it all the time, like just getting back to the roots of like tribalism in a sense, not tribalism. That's not the right word. No. Community. But like yeah. community, yeah. local localism. Local. Yeah. Like try like being able to lean on neighbors or people yeah, that are around absolutely. you you know and also there there's also and i i think this is like uh sort of part of like the anarchist ethos even though it's not spelled out specifically but there's a certain part of it it has a certain there's a certain quality that there's just this general sense where you believe and, and anarchists tend to believe that problems can be solved locally better than they can be just anywhere else right like if there's yeah. some problem right uh, like uh, you can apply for some type of mediation like between like like if two people are having a dispute right you might be that person who can go out and be the mediator between the dispute or something like that so maybe uh, help to solve the problem uh, directly like that and uh, it's certainly better than you know in most cases um, uh, to de-escalate it and not you know go to some state court to solve your issue uh, if you're having like some dispute um, it's, it's, do, it's much quicker much more efficient how do anarchists think of lawyers oh well this is a great question uh <laughs> no, no, so disputes <laughs> so uh, it's actually it's actually like most people probably think that anarchism is anti-lawyer and their current and, and certainly there's cases where that's certainly true we're we're anti-state lawyers uh yes. we're we're not a fan of prosecutors uh we're in, in like um uh, we, we tend to like defense attorneys, I, I think mostly uh, some, you know, the, I mean, you could make a good case probably that there's some defense attorneys you, you probably don't like. But in, in the general sense, we don't like prosecutors, but there could like there would still be like in some sense, like uh, what are sometimes called tort courts, where it's like in an anarchist society where it'd be like um, if like someone if my neighbor wronged me or something, I could go to some arbitrator and maybe the arbitrator um, would have like certain lawyers to like help the help the arbitrator come to a decision about like um, whether um, I was harmed or not and whether I should be awarded like restitution for my neighbor uh, like um, like you know harming me or something like that or stealing from me or, or something like that and it could be a completely like a uh, local process um, yeah. we, which is interesting because um... So when you look back through the formation of the United States, or at least the lead up to the revolution, um, and then a lot of the writings that happened um, to, to end up forming the Articles Confederation, um, and then kind of the back and forth between the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists, a lot of them believed in this concept of honor. And for them, it came from a very kind of like Judeo-Christian background. But um, to them, this idea that uh, disputes shouldn't have to go to a court like it, it should be very mm -hmm. rare that a dispute go to a court go that far like yeah you know you like and, you should be able to figure it out well yes you, you that and you should have to go you and me as a as a 
sovereign free being, uh, each one of us should be able to, with honor, uh, dissolve our dispute mm. in one way or shape or form. Yeah. You know, um, mm -hmm. which is something that's been completely lost because the, the state is essentially uh, dishonored everyone and they've essentially stepped in to be that they've de facto given guidelines that people have right no in it's not no it's not just guidelines they've they've essentially co-opted everyone's honor like anyone who comes from yeah. um not, not to single them out but you know anyone who comes from kind of like a, an asian descent also has a, a a cultural heritage of honor right like what comes uh, yeah. to be your personal honor if you look at what the the government does, it does it takes away. essentially takes it away from you and uh, instills so it that's in itself. An interesting and makes thing. That it has. That's interesting. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I I I, I have another question. Go for it. Sure. Because me and you talk about this a lot. Wait, and is this a question or is this a really long story? No, I'm not giving a story. without a question mark at the end. Did I do that a you lot? You at least have to raise your voice. <laughs> again. All right, go ahead. <laughs> No, well, so if you're in an anarchist society, right? What happens to the criminals? Is there like you say? Great you question. A lot of them get shot. But <laughs> no, but I mean, like, listen, there are people that are mentally ill and cause shit. There are fucking yes. real serial killers. I know an 11 year old who murdered four people. Like I, the, mm -hmm. you know, so what? I mean, is there a is there a defined system? For something like that or is it just purely in the localized yes <laughs> so um i i think it, it is it is generally <laughs> I, I think it does take place within a local community i think that would be like how it would happen mostly mm -hmm. um as for like very dangerous people um oftentimes i think mo most what would happen generally is that if a person was truly violent they probably wouldn't make it very far you know what i mean in an anarchist community but like there's people all, who can, had carry would like take care of right yeah saying. but okay. let's let's push it back another level and say okay let's say something did happen uh, generally speaking um so there's a uh, there's a great uh like little book it, it's very short it's by uh, robert murphy called chaos theory and he tackles this question directly and i love his answer to it um so um an example of and, and like you'll have there's a i, I probably i i don't think i I don't I don't think I diverge necessarily, but I'm what would people would call in what I would call myself is a prison abolitionist. And mm -hmm. but and now this ties in really well. It's like, well, what do you do with the criminals necessarily? Like, because there are very bad people who should not be around other people who cause a lot of problems. Um, an example of this, and I think this really goes into like people, I think this is one of people's main criticisms of anarchism, just like, what do you do with the really dangerous people? And I think what would happen generally is like, let's give an example here. Um, I, I'm in favor of restitution. So that means that if someone harms another person, I think they owe a certain amount of restitution to the to the victim or the victim's family, mm. uh, right? Um, and what this means ultimately is that um, every time they work or they collect a paycheck, a certain portion of it um, is uh, given to the family, let's say, if it, especially if it's like a really serious crime, uh, perhaps they're going to be doing that for the rest of their life. Maybe maybe a certain amount of their paycheck is going to go to the victim's family. Um, uh, we can always ask, well, okay, let's say, now let's say, what if someone is really stubborn and just refuses somehow to not pay, uh, right? Um, so uh, one way that this has happened in, in past societies is that, um, they would be blacklisted from legal protection 
Um, so the legal provider, like the like the the dispute resolution providers, would say, "Okay, you're not playing ball with us. We're not going to play ball with you. Uh, if anyone hurts this person, we will not prosecute you." Wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, so this it's is like how it putting happened. A, a child, like a, someone who like is a sexual predator of children, in jail. I, mean, I feel like that's what happened. No, no, not in jail. It, you put them out. But in the I mean, like with a red, red well, yeah. But it, like say. in this in society, this. you put a child sexual yeah, right. predator in a jail, and they get fucked up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, uh, what would happen is that they say, okay, if you refuse to play ball, if you refuse to like make restitution to this family, and obviously, you know, if it, if it's just like a, 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 a theft or something or a crime like that, it probably wouldn't make it that far. But if it's a really serious crime and they just refuse, they're they're just like a low life and they just refuse to like make good on their restitution uh, to the victim, then I, I think uh, what would happen, generally speaking, is that they would just say, okay, we're, uh, we are not, we, it's within our rights to not prosecute anyone uh, for, you know, looking the other way, essentially, <laughs> uh, if someone does something, and that and is within their rights to, the to do. Yeah. I, I, right. in, the, in some sense, yes, because it's like, um, because you'd be like, well, now there is another thing too, right, which is a, a concept of like almost a voluntary isolation or involuntary imprisonment, where let's say this person now, let's take it now another step farther, this person's probably going to have to get out of town, right? They're going to have to get out of town because it's like, hey, I'm not, I, I'm going to die here. If like you're a really serious criminal, uh, that person, they're like, well, I'm going to die here. Now, there would be a market incentive for certain institutions to be like, okay, look, we will protect your rights if you stay in these premises and work for a living. And then maybe you can work for us and we will protect you, but you can't leave. Yeah. If you leave, we will no longer, we will like no longer protect you, and court. now you're on your own again, right? So, so something, re something that really resonated with me when I was kind of thinking through my opposition to the death penalty, because I think the the state should not be able to be given the opportunity to to end to terminate someone's life because they do it with and they never such, know 100%. such egregious Im imbalance and injustice. Um, yeah. Sam Konkin and a couple of other uh, libertarian and anarchist uh, thinkers actually thought of the idea of like work camps and work camps as a means of paying restitution, because I always thought it was I thought it was the the worst possible scenario that someone takes someone else's life and then in return, you're essentially taking their life and whether or not you believe in the death penalty or not, whether they spend life in prison or if you're actually executing them. Um, they're they're not in any way making good for what they took, right? Yeah. Like there there there's no balance there. There's no um, not that I'm a fan of like necessarily retribution, but there's no kind of like you know uh, give and take there, or at least some kind of trying well, to like make things thing. whole, right? People who have had a you know these situations, like their husband or son was killed by, say, a drunk driver, or mm -hmm. by somebody mm -hmm. who literally murdered them. And I see these all the time on my grief groups. Yeah, there are two kinds of people. There are the people that want their fucking ass. They want retribution. And there are the people that I want to hug this person because yeah, I they, feel like they it was they're a human person. Yeah. And you know there might be some in the middle, but I haven't seen it. Yeah. <laughs> like it seems to be like what I'm. This the is other a side. great conversation. But like, like these, you know, I love this type of stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what the answer is, but maybe it's left up to the people who are victims. I, I think the answer is it depends on the community, right? Practically speaking, I think that's absolutely true, right? It is. So so here's an example, right? So Bob Murphy proposes this analogy because a lot of times when people talk about restitute, uh, like uh, more like um, restitution based systems versus retribution based systems, a lot of people in favor of retribution will say, well, how can you just like be okay with them just paying restitution? Doesn't this person deserve to die? And Bob Murphy's a pacifist and I'm not a pacifist, but I, I tend to lean like close to that. Um, in the sense of like, I, I tend to favor uh, restorative justice. Um, now, in terms of, but now someone who says, well, doesn't this person deserve to die? Now let's, 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 Bob Murphy proposes this analogy, which I think is great. Let's say, just theoretically, let's say the only uh, fine or the only penalty you have to pay for murdering a person is $5 to the victim's family. Mm. Now this sounds horrible on its face right mm. but let's let's put it let's go a step further if you murder the murderer you only have to pay five dollars <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's the other side of the coin <laughs> yes that is the other side of the coin to that um uh now obviously no now obviously the restitution would be much more than five dollars but he just uses that as like a kind of funny example to say yeah. now now on the other hand <laughs> um you can also you know uh, flip it the other way if now this is also something too like contrasted with the state's justice system and i believe this goes back to in modern times in monarchy right whereas if someone murders someone the state is taking it the burden upon them or they're essentially stepping in the middle of this and saying that no no you harm society mm. you are going to jail because you harm you essentially did something uh that that we deemed hurt us and right. we're going to imprison you because of this. And this goes back all the way back to monarchy because oftentimes uh, when someone killed another person, the monarch would say, you hurt my property. Yeah. <laughs> you essentially yeah. hurt my subject and I'm going to put you or to death or in prison for this. That is 100% and this kinda, correct. And this legally kind of carried over into like uh, current legal systems. Uh, so when the state does this, they're essentially putting them in prison because it's like, hey, you harmed our cattle in some sense. Um, yeah. uh, That's it. <laughs> and, because, and think about that. No, think about this too, right? Is that now when that person's sitting in prison, the victim's family is paying for that person's stay, prison stay through taxation. Oh, Their tax yeah. dollars are going to pay for that person's room yeah. and board now so and that's how it works right now so you can see like even if like uh so even if you're a person who does believe in retribution um the state is still not giving you that <laughs> like yeah. the state and it's also not rehabilitative if you believe in rehabilitation right oh, really? so hey, it joss has seen it firsthand it's it's the complete yeah. opposite i mean yeah. it's a self it's essentially a, a self-perpetuating cycle or it's a um essentially creating your own market because the vast majority of nonviolent criminals that go in that, you know, if, there, if there's no victim, there's no crime. Like there but should be no law, bigger, right? They, they become bigger criminals. But they go into the system and then they end up turning into violent criminals as a result. And they have to to survive a lot of times. Because yeah. it's like, yeah, so 
yeah, it, they tend to become more violent as they come out. So yeah, if you believe in retribution, you don't get what you want with the state system. If you believe in a rehabilitation, you definitely don't get what you want in the state system. And if you believe in restorative justice, you definitely don't get what you want with the state system. So yeah. everyone here is not <laughs> getting what they want. So pretty much every type of like philosophy of justice here is not being satisfied with the state's rule. Yeah, I'm 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 highly interested in that five dollars thing. It actually sounds pretty interesting. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, what you say all the time, what you say all the time, and then you know you have to imagine society as different, right? Because if you were in an anarchist society, you would have open carry, right? I mean, that wouldn't be an issue. Oh yeah. Right? Oh, so yeah. like people would be defending themselves in different ways. So how many criminals would you well, have? Think about what it this kinds way. of criminals would think, you have? Think about it this way. If you took all of the nonviolent criminals that are in prisons right now, right, and they weren't criminalized for their behavior, and then you took the number of violent criminals that are in prison right now, that would have been thwarted based off of people owning firearms. There would be almost no one in prison. I would right say now. one thing that I have dealt with the schizophrenic and mentally ill. And there is absolutely those people don't give a shit how many people open carry around them. When they're oh, in yeah. The boats. yeah. Like there are now I don't believe they should be like killed or anything for the, like they are literally sick. Yeah. But there are a lot of them. And and then you think about all the people that are like I'm going back to my rant on pharmaceutical medications and stuff that are having aggression from that. I mean, who do you fucking blame in the end? I don't even know. I, I mean, we're so li far. Hold from... on. Life life is not about blame. I know. Okay, people need to get away from people, that. It's, but not, like, it's not about blame. Life is about existence. It's about it freedom is. and it's about like you know whether or not you're able to live on your own terms it is, or but not. what are That's we creating that's the question no no people who have to blame others and things like i mean that, i don't feel like i do you feel like i blame others no i no i don't think you blame others i just feel I think like there are a lot of other people though that would choose to project or i love or, people or pass blame what you know but and, I, and not never look in the mirror yeah. right no i love people and i feel like people in general i just think just we're stick, so it goes back to it we're just so far the, from human here, nature. here I, I have a solution ace i think she needs to hang out in the hippie commune the hippie commune is <laughs> all good with me but then <laughs> what you need to do is you need to form a voluntary contract Orphanage. with the ancaps that live next door that have lots of automatic weapons to provide security for the outside and i'll the, watch the their babies commune. Yeah, no, I think that, that's a <laughs> and see, this is also something great about anarchism is it really provides this plurality of lifestyles that people can mm -hmm. live peacefully together with, right? So, like, you can have uh, you can have different types of lifestyles. Like, you can live like look as long as it's voluntary. You can have like the, you can have a commune. Uh, you can have uh, like a more industrial, like market based area if you want. Uh, you can have more of like, you know, if people want to just like live out on the land and sort of like like and live out like a primitivist lifestyle, uh, you know, in their own little area. Uh, we everyone can do this. And if we want to interact or trade or like interact peacefully together, we can do this. And, and it, it's completely fine. And anarchism completely permits that. The only thing anarchism doesn't permit is subjugating another person to your rule. And anything that's not and anything that doesn't do that is completely fine by anarchist standards, at least for like uh, in, you know, permitting it.
I, I like I it. I think that is a fine, uh, fantastic point to end on. I I like you, it. Are you good with that? I feel like we went full circle with we totally licensure did. and licensure yeah. and insurance. <laughs> I don't know how to say those two together. Licensure and insurance. Yes. Yeah. It's and like when we you've went, been drinking, you can never everything. say the word judicial system. Uh, Licensurance. So, yeah. Lic Licensurance. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, really quickly. I have loved you. I think you're fantastic. One more time, Ace. Oh. Where people find your information? Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at Ace underscore Arcus. You can find me on uh, Substack. I'm uh, I'm really been delayed on a Substack I've been writing, and I apologize for that. I told people it would be out a while back. It hasn't come out yet. I am so sorry, but it will be out uh, fairly shortly. You can find the Substack at acearcus.substack.com. And then I have a podcast, a new podcast with my friend uh, Dean. Um, we do it every every week. It's out every Monday. It's called The End Times Continue. Um, and you can find us at tetc.show um, or on any podcatcher, pretty much. So, yeah. Awesome. It's yeah. been such a it's such a pleasure being here. So thank you guys Hi. so much for inviting me. Yeah. I, <laughs> thank you, you. You were like part teacher, part therapist tonight. I <laughs> oh, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Matt. <laughs> <laughs> no you guys are great yeah. <laughs> uh and that's a reminder if you guys are still with us hit the like button subscribe uh we're not monetized on youtube but we do not endeavor to be but uh do help us with the algorithm so that we can get this out in front of as many people as possible uh and with that any final comments no just it's the time is ripe for people to move through this conversation because yeah. there's so much that is very apparent and easily to easily point outable i don't yeah. know what that's a word identifiable yeah. identifiable yes yeah i feel like it's the time so uh yeah it's definitely the time so with that we'll be back next monday 9 p.m i think we might shane have hazel? shane hazel with us hazel. yeah he's always i'm excited time. for that one too so, yeah um so ace thank you very much again i appreciate uh, oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you guys it was so much. a wonderful much conversation. I'm sorry if I cut you and off. No, I, <laughs> no, 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 you're fine. You guys are fine. I'm sorry if I ever cut you guys off. And and, and everyone needs to check out the uh, feudal battles. That, and I don't mean like feudal as in futility. <laughs> I mean feudal as in like knights with armor that Ace engages with on Twitter every single day. I think they're absolutely fantastic. Um, oh, thank you so much. You, you, you taught me a ton because you, you oh, go through I, those like hypotheticals and stuff like that, which I absolutely love. So well, thank you. Uh, that, that means a lot. Yeah, it's 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 a huge valley. So with that. Awesome. End of the episode. I think so. Peace. <laughs>